Hey, what's going on, Black people? What's happening? My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. Welcome to drboycetv.com, the home for intelligent Black people. Now, uh, the, I, I'm all here with two two smart brothers that uh, right now we are distracted because all of us are looking to see what the results of the Derek Chauvin trial uh, are. And uh, we didn't schedule the interview. We didn't deliberately schedule it at this particular time to match the, the announcement of the verdict. But since it's happening, we're going to now see what the announcement is. And that's going to be the center of our discussion. Uh, but the guys I'm speaking with, uh, I'll just let you know who they are. Uh, I got D1, uh, who is an extraordinary uh, hip-hop artist, extraordinary human being, activist, uh, brilliant black man, and Jeff Lightsey Jr. from Ball Sports, the Black Boss channel. Uh, he, uh, so anyway, uh, let me uh, first of all say hello to everybody. And then second of all, I know we're, we're looking at this trial. Is anything coming up? Are y'all seeing anything on the screen? Literally right now, the judge is speaking. Really? Okay. Well, let, let's take a second. Let's just see what the judge is saying. I'm gonna try to share a screen or something. Let me uh, let me find the live stream, man. This is uh, this is big. All right. It's definitely big. It's really big. I'm uh, it's a lot gonna happen after this. Good or guilty. bad? He's guilty. That's on one charge. Same caption. Verdict count two. We determine that one title matter as count two. Third-degree murder, perpetrating, and then that's a dangerous act. Final spent guilty. This verdict is Guilty. Second-degree murder, third-degree murder. Wow. I'm, I'm going to share this audio on this live stream. And that way, jury number two, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Jury number nine, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Jury number 19, are these your true and correct verdicts? Juror number 27, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 44, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 52, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 55, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 79, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 85, are these your true and correct verdicts? Juror number 89, is this your, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 91, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 92, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Are these your verdicts, so say you one, so say you all? Yes. 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 Wow. I find that uh, the verdicts as read reflect the will of the jury and will be filed accordingly. Wow. Wow. Okay, yeah. so it looks like uh, he's guilty. Was he guilty on all counts? All oh, counts. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So uh, I guess uh, I'll start with uh, with our, our special guest today, D. Well, how do you feel? What, what what went through your mind when you saw this? Happiness, happiness, relief, because uh, this would have been such a slap in the face to Black America had he been acquitted of these charges. And it would have just all hell would have broken loose, uh, rightfully so. So uh, this, you know, this feel I'm, I'm trying to see if they're going to take him to jail right now. You know, like I'm trying to see because, look, if you convicted of murder, they need to take you to jail straight from the courthouse. You don't need Absolutely. to go home and, and go feed your dog and all that stuff. Like I'm, I'm looking to see if they finna take him because, yeah, this, this is a big day. Hopefully this scares the next police that's, that, that's, that's thinking about doing something like this. Hopefully this, this is just sent shockwaves through their body like, oh, shoot, things are changing. We actually getting convicted of this stuff now. Like, that's what I'm hoping. Mm. 
Jeff, uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, it's it's sad because I'm like D, right? Like you're you're happy that this conviction is made, but I mean to be honest, the fact that we almost feel more relieved that that the conviction was made simply because there is a history that these police officers get off in these cases, right? Like this man was killed on camera. Like there was no 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 edits. No, it wasn't a movie. It felt like a movie. You watched it for eight minutes and 46 seconds or it ended up being nine minutes and some change. We watched it happen, but we feel relieved that he's actually going to jail and in and, and getting punished for the crime that he committed. And it's just like, man, like that's a scary feeling that someone can kill a black man on camera and you still not think that they may or may not get away with it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just so mind blowing that that is our reality. But it is, you know, it is what it is. That That's just the truth. Because, I mean, I'm going to tell you, be straight up. If that was a white man and he killed on camera, it wouldn't have took this long. We wouldn't have been, like, worried about if he was going to jail or not, if the, the justice was going to be served. But because it was our people, because we know the history of America, because we know how, you know, white supremacy works. We feel almost like, at least me, I can only speak for me. I can't speak for everybody, but I feel relieved that he actually is convicted on all the charges. Mm. So, you know, um, uh, it, it, I mean, obviously, I, I think we're on the same page <laughs> on, on the conviction. You know, I, I mean, I talk to a lot of people. I My father was a cop. And so um, because my perspective was a little different in the sense that I saw all sides of all of that. You know, I know a lot of good, good cops, black and white who are not bad people who don't, you know, I, I, I never believe the narrative that says every cop wakes up every day thinking, how am I going to kill a black person today? Most of the cops I know, they don't want that sort of, they don't want that. They don't want none of that smoke. <laughs> They're like, I hope I don't have to shoot somebody. Uh, in fact, I know a cop who almost died because he was so afraid of shooting a, a person of color. Like, and I say a person of color because this cop was Hispanic. And uh, he said, you know, I got in a situation where, there, you know, where there's another guy who was Mexican like me and he was a gangbanger that was beating up on a girl. And I intervened and and and, I, and suddenly he said I got surrounded by all his boys and I pulled out my gun. And he said I hesitated because I didn't want to be the, the Mexican guy who shot another Mexican. So this wasn't even black. And he said right when he hesitated, he got hit by a car. One of the guys ran him over and they left him wow. for dead. They left him for dead. And, he, and so he said that he was pissed off and, and, and he was feeling mixed emotions because the other cops were like, yeah, that's why you got to just shoot them. Like, they, if you don't kill them, they're going to kill you. Right. Mm -hmm. But then he was like, damn, like, these are my own people that did this to me. And, and I think that what that speaks to is a reality that says that, you know, good and bad people come in all different <laughs> ethnicities. Absolutely. Right. You don't mean that we, that we brothers. But at the same time, um, I think when you talk about policing in America, uh, I think we all know that it's done in the wrong way. Uh, yeah. so, so, D, I'd be curious to know, um, you know, what what are your thoughts in terms of just how we should see all this is going on? You know, when you talk about the things that happen with black men in America, I know you've seen it up close. I know that uh, you, you've told stories about how you were almost killed on the basketball court at that time. Uh, mm -hmm. You also told stories about how you have friends that have been murdered. Um and, and we know that, uh, that, that there's a lot of conversation about the, the George Floyd situations, things like that. But uh, as a black man, I feel like there's so many complexities in terms of all the different things that can happen to us if we're not careful, if we run into the wrong situations. How do we take all this in? I, you know, I, I don't think sitting around and just being traumatized by it is the best solution. Uh, what is your solution kind of going forward as you see this? 
Yeah, my solution, the reason why I really uh, enjoy the way that you teach and, and, and the way that you articulate your thoughts and ideas is that you are you are honest about the realities of what we're going through as black people, um, specifically black men. So that reality is that, of course, we have been unfairly targeted by police for generations, you know, way back to Jim Crow days. Like, you know, the police, they were the ones who used to enforce the Jim Crow laws and whatnot. Like this has been happening for a long time. And at comma, at the same time, we now have become each other's biggest enemies in many ways because we are oftentimes seeking out another person because of either what they have that we don't have or something mm. that this person did that offended us and the way that we that we're going to get retribution is okay I'm going to take this person's life I have so many stories of my students from when I was a, a middle school teacher who are now dead you know resting in peace because they got into a confrontation with another with another young black man. And unfortunately, you know, we've, we've been taught, you know, regardless of, uh, of what the, what the reasoning is, we've been, we've been taught that violence is the solution to any sort of conflict that we have, even internally. And we can look at stats and say, well, whites kill whites, you know, uh, most of the time. And, and so blacks kill blacks most of the time. It makes sense. But in order to get to the point where you're killing someone, it starts with a lack of love. So instead of focusing on the amount that we are, you know, shooting and killing one another, let's just focus on the lack of love that exists when it comes to one another. That, that lack of love, I think, if we focus on how to bridge that gap, how to support one another more, how to value one another more, how to see ourselves in one another more, then you'll find that killing doesn't always have to be at the center of the conversation. And we figure out ourselves, you know, that lack of love with more of it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I agree with you, man. I, I think that the uh, that love is is um it's great to start that conversation with love, as opposed to you know what we're talking about, what we what we don't like or what we're avoiding or or what's wrong with us. Um, I think love is the thing that's right with us, right? I think every human being has the capacity for love. And it depends on what situation we're in, how we're triggered. You know, am I triggering your love gene or am I triggering your hate gene? And uh, and I think that when you talk about this, you know, Jeff, um, you know, when I when I saw that video with uh, Derek Chauvin with his knee on George Floyd's neck, um, I, I obviously saw we obviously saw hate. I mean, we saw the same thing. And what was also interesting to me was I really wasn't surprised to find out that. Uh, between those two guys, I think it was more than just, you know, like cop meets, uh, you know, citizen meets black man wants to kill my. I, I feel like there was some personal stuff going on. Like, did you, was that what you found? I know you're a journalist, Jeff. Yeah. In your research, wasn't there like a was there a personal relationship between these two? Because I'm like, who in their right mind would think that it makes sense to have your knee on somebody's neck for that long in that way? Well, well, they had a history from what I read. And you now somebody can fact check me in the comments, but there, there was a history between these two guys. It wasn't this wasn't a by chance meeting like they knew of each other. So, like you said, it, it was it was hatred that was poured out for this man for whatever reason when that incident took place. I, I want to talk about something that D said uh, really poetically, and it was just about the lack of love, like those interactions that we have with each other and our people. We'll get back to the cop and Derek Chauvin stuff, but like with our people, because because it's what it's about. It's about us at the end of the day, that, that lack of love and that wanting to be tough, right? Like at the same time, like, yeah, I understand that you're a man, you stand on your two feet, like you want to, you know, protect yourself. But at a certain, at a, at a certain, at the same time, 
you have to be realistic. Like to take another man's life or or to, to really put yourself in that situation, there's nothing good that can come from that, right? Like even in self-defense and a lot of times when you take another man's life, especially a man that looks like you, there is a lot of like trauma that really comes with those type of situations. And so uh, just like you said, that lack of empathy, that lack of love, that just wanting to show that you're the biggest, baddest dude in the world, that, that's, not the, that's not the route, man. And that's what's led so many of our people uh, to to be placed in early graves. He talked about his students that he had his middle school. I know the guys that I grew up with in West Louisville that, you know, I'm 25 that aren't here. They didn't make it to their 21st birthday. A lot of them didn't, dang sure didn't make it to their 25th birthday. So it's just like, I don't know, that, that really resonated with me when you were talking about that, man, because it's it's serious and it's, and yeah, I know, you know, we're we're happy that justice, you know, in some form was served for George Floyd, but at the same time, it is a lot that we have to do within our own community brother like let's let's let, let's call a spade a spade uh Derek Chauvin getting convicted that does not cure all of the problems inside the black community no, we not at all each other about that so if we're gonna celebrate and if we're high-fiving each other right now let's not be high-fiving somebody who later tonight that person is gonna be the one that's mm. breaking into your house or that's shooting mm. you or killing you like we celebrating a hey, that, that that racist white man you know he went down but now, once we get over this euphoria and this high, now we're back to being each other's uh, biggest threats. Let's not do that. Let, let's, let's take advantage of this moment. Let's take advantage of this moment. Anyone who is not a racist is happy right now and is unified. So it's like, how do we, how do we keep that sentiment going, you know? Well, yeah. you know, I'm going to tell you, the reason why everybody should listen to D1 music, if you're not listening, you should. Uh, and I'm going to tell you why, uh, why I listen to D1 music is uh, you, you have songs that actually reflect a lot of these um ideas that you have i mean you know like like any like like a lot of great artists uh you um uh your soul comes out in your music and you have songs that that i can remember that's in terms of personal favorites like um i hate money uh what was another uh sally mayback of course that was great but then you had one song i don't remember the name of it maybe you can help me where you were really defining all the enemies that we have as black people like it wasn't just just the racist white guy it was like the the guy who goes to the hood killing people it's the the person who uh you, you know what I'm talking about help it's me called, with it. it's called you stupid fool That's yeah like <laughs> yeah yeah man and, uh, and, and I said okay the, the, he he gets it you know and, and um and I think that that's an important conversation to have because I, I think that what uh what we've been trained in, in terms of mainstream media to believe is that convicting Derek Chauvin is solving eighty percent of our problems that now that we've got Derek Chauvin behind bars. Every black person's safe, y'all. We good now. We got the we got a vaccine and we arrested Derek Chauvin. We straight. No, we don't. it ain't over yet. Ice Cube said it in our in, in our not death certificate, no Vaseline. When we said, uh, "Oh, oh yeah, it ain't over, mother." But you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? It ain't over, right? So, uh, I go back to you, Jeff. Uh, when we say it ain't over, and I and I think it's important to make sure we're not minimizing the importance of making sure Derek Chauvin's behind bars. All right, uh, I mean, you know, dealing with the Derek Chauvin's, like you said, it sends a clear message. And uh, so, so how do you feel? I mean, do you think that this conviction is going to lead to a change in behavior from police across the country? Absolutely not. No, it's not. I mean, you you would hope so, right? Like, but until like for every George Floyd that's caught on camera and Derek Chauvin gets convicted, there's a million that don't. 
right? There's there's a hundred thousand that don't or whatever, right? Like there's been other incidents where you know whether it was Rodney King or you know pick your you know worst scenario that you saw on camera, people that weren't convicted for those crimes. So we know that it's not going to change policing across the country. Hell, we just saw. Uh, a guy gets shot in Minnesota, Dante Wright got shot in Minnesota by a white police officer just like last week, right? And he, you know, unfortunately passed away. So it's not going to change policing. I think the biggest thing is for us uh, is that, like you said, it, we have to police ourselves. We have to get more into that. We have to do more for self. And, and, and I hate to say it, but money is a lot of power. And because they don't see us as monetarily valuable in a lot of ways, they're not going to ever care about our lives. They're not ever going to, you know, to the extent that we feel like they should. Right. So th those are the things that when you fix your community within itself, then you can push out the police. When you start to police yourself, those are the things that you can, you know, try to avoid, try to avoid. I, I emphasis is on try because it's not a hundred percent, like it's not a hundred percent proven, but I definitely think that this isn't going to change mass policing across the country. Not one bit. All right. Uh, D, what do you think? I mean, do you think that this is uh well, what what does this give us and what does this not give us? Uh th this particular conviction uh, conviction. Yeah, what it what it does give us is uh we we can't relate to this because we are not uh racist white cops, you know, no one who's in this conversation. But for a racist white cop who's sitting at home who is watching this, they're at least thinking, you know what? I didn't know this was possible that we could actually get convicted, you know, for, for killing uh, one of them. So now they see that much uh, that, that, that is that is possible now. I think what this gives us, I'm always thinking with my teaching hat on, is an opportunity to make this a teachable moment to where, you know, I see all these people in the street. I'm watching it as we speak. I see all these people in the street, black and white people who are hugging and everything. And this gives us an opportunity to make sure that moving forward, we eradicate this hatred, whether it's in the context of policing or whether it's in the context of just everyday life, because Jeff said something important about uh, economic ramifications, uh, kind of determining who you choose to um, respect in this world. And I, I think that I think that we have to, you know, we have to get to that point where we realize that. A human being deserves respect just because they're a human being and, and not because of the uh, the economic ramifications. Jeff was right. He was spot on in that in this country. Oh, yeah. Like the, the, the financial implications of your actions are going to determine a lot of people's uh, love or hatred or discrimination, you know, towards another person. But hopefully after this, hopefully this is just humanized uh, America a, a lot more to where. We just start to look at one another and value one another, regardless of um, regardless of uh, socioeconomic status. And we just say, because I know all these people who are in Milwaukee, in uh, Minneapolis, in the streets right now. I know they come from various different types of backgrounds, um, and that unity and that love that they're feeling right now is kind of like, how do you keep that same energy moving forward? I think that is our challenge because right now, I will say that. Uh, there are more people. Than, this is similar. Let's try to rewind 12 months, fellas. Let's try to rewind to when this first happened to George Floyd. Um, I never had that many white people in my life personally hit me up asking, what can I do? I was so blind all these years to all the racism. I'm so empathetic now. What can I watch? What can I read? Where can I send money? 
Remember that sentiment? I don't know if y'all remember that sentiment. No, it was happening. I do, definitely. Well, that's, I think that that's what, you know, that, that in, 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 a, in, a, in a microscopic type of way, I think that's what uh, this guilty verdict has brought about is that same level of unity. So now it's like, what do we do with, 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 with this, with this, this attention that, that, that is placed on everyone, you know, respecting and loving one another? I think that's the main question that we have to ask ourselves because we have it right now. This is the opportunity right now. And the last thing we need to do is give, uh, give other cultures a reason to, to say, well, I mean, we trying to help them out, but they just hate each other so much. You know what I mean? We, we can't even help. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, I'll tell you what, uh, I, and I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are on this, Jeff. Um, the economic implications of it, you know, I, I think that there's, um, you know, there, there's an argument to be made that, you know, when it comes to uh, police brutality or anything, the best way to send a message is to send it, you know, in terms of money. Uh, boycotting things, not not supporting things financially. That you believe in R- Rizla Islam, who was just on uh, a few minutes ago, and uh, Maj Ture, uh, we're both saying that uh, that you know when it comes to Minneapolis, we black folks shouldn't be spending money there. That we should just you know really understand our economic power. Uh, what, what what are your thoughts on that in terms of us as a culture understanding uh, the power of the black dollar and how we can um, protect that? No, they're absolutely right because the thing is. When these cops kill these black men and these families get these big settlements, whether it's Breonna Taylor or George Floyd or whoever, guess who pays for that? We do. The the, the taxpayer that lives in said city or said state pays for that, right? So when Breonna Taylor's mother gets 12 million or whatever she gets, and and rightfully so, but that doesn't come out of police pension. That doesn't come out of the police because they have really strong unions within their cities. That comes from our tax dollars here in Kentucky or when George Floyd's family gets paid. So it really inadvertently never affects the department. So that's why I say change behavior. Like, yeah, they'll get some bad press for a minute, right? But once the once the trial is over and once the settlements are paid, like Breonna Taylor happened in Kentucky, that's not much talking about like outside. Of, there's like these police reform bills and stuff going on here in the state, but th- it, it, the conversation is pretty much dead, right? So I, I don't want that to happen because that's how we get in the same cycle. So yeah, like, like D said, we'll have this euphoria over the conviction for a while and we might have even that spotlight for a little bit, but it's what you do with it is so critical and how you keep those things alive is so critical. Yeah, you'll have that spotlight, but you don't want to give the spotlight to the wrong people because the wrong people will have you doing the same thing over and over and over again. And that's essentially what's been happening since the 60s. So yeah, you'll get those people reaching out to folks and you will have folks get on CNN or whatever major media platform and trying to tell you what to do, but that's not what's going to help. You know what I mean? Like that's not what it's going to help you in that situation because if it was, we wouldn't be in these same cycles in 2021 that essentially we've been fighting those same battles since at least the, the hmm. civil rights movement. All right. Well, you know, speaking of spotlight, um, uh, let's turn the spotlight. Uh, let, let, let's, uh, I want to turn the spotlight on, on D you given the D's our guest today. Cause you and I, Jeff, we, we talk all the time, man. And I, I want to catch up definitely also with D in the sense of uh, uh, t- uh, turning the pages a little bit on uh, things that I think people can learn from you about um, not just life. Cause I mean, I'm gonna tell you, these just a wise guy. And when, and, and when I pause like that, it's because he is, uh, if you hear his music, his, his thinking is so vast on so many important areas that it's hard to kind of pin something down. So I'm gonna try to pin something down though. Um, I know this week, for example, there was a conversation about 
uh, Diddy and Bad Boy Records and uh, how, uh, you know, Black Rob, Rest His Soul, uh, went out. And uh, there was, and I saw debates about, you know, okay, whose fault was it? Did Diddy do him wrong or did Black Rob make bad choices or whatever? And I don't, I'm not asking you to talk about that, but I am, but I did think about you because I said, well, I know artists who make really good choices when it comes to the money and the business and everything else. And you're at the top of that list, you know, and, and I always tell the story about uh, how you were offered the chance to sign with Cash Money Records. You were able to walk away from that. Most people couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a record deal and you chose to be independent. I, I don't know if you're still independent. Now you could brief us on that. But uh, and I know you loved around the world, but it's it, 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 but it's fascinating how you've moved in terms of, of empowering yourself to manage your career. And there's other artists in, in a similar category. Maybe you think about E-40, uh, who's always been relevant, even when the world thought he wasn't relevant. He never agreed to that, right? Uh, Master P, who's always talking about business and money and everything else. Uh, and Nas, you know, with Coinbase and all this stuff. So so can you speak to that in terms of your thinking, just as a human being and as an artist, and, and, and the ways that you've been able to move that have allowed you uh, to create your own reality in a lot of different ways? Uh, go ahead, D. Great, great, uh, great question. So uh, for me, it all started with knowing my why and knowing why I wanted to be an artist, because a lot of people, um, they don't know their why. So when they get into the booth and when they hear a beat come on and they have to put some lyrics to it, they'll say whatever comes to their head or they'll say whatever is already popular. But just because it's popular doesn't mean it's proper. And that is something that um, that I knew my why from the beginning because I was educated, I was a teacher before I became a full-time hip-hop artist. So I knew that I wanted to be the, uh, I, w- I wanted to be the gateway for people who wanted to know that you could still be cool, you could still be successful and be a black man who stood on your morals, your values, and your principles. That was my why from the beginning. So because of that, um, I've been intentional about my message that I've always put into each one of my songs. And because I know and understand my why, it goes beyond just music, meaning music is not ever, nor has it ever been the end game for me. Music is an amazing way to get a lot of attention and to get a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, name recognition and people knowing who you are. But then you have to have a plan for what you, what you plan on doing with that attention and with that notoriety. So for me, being a leader has always been at the top of my list. Being a leader who can, who can use that platform so at this point, you know, I'm into stocks. I'm into real estate. I'm, I'm, I'm the first rapper in the, in the history of Louisiana to ever be uh, a governor's appointee. I just got appointed to the Louisiana Council on the Success of Black Men and Boys by Governor John Bell Edwards. Um, this puts me, you know, uh, I'm, I'm about to be an artist in residence. I have a, a big announcement coming up soon, um, an institution I'll be an artist in residence for. This is... This is all part of a plan. This wasn't just random for me. This was something where I knew that being a successful artist who stood for something would open up other doors to continue to be a leader in different ways. So whenever I see artists who are older than me or who are way more known than me, who don't take advantage of that power that they have um, to, to be a leader, and, and I can tell that they don't know their why, that really bothers me. That really bothers me. And, you know, I, I watch these artists and we might call them OGs and a lot of people might look up to them and respect them. But I actually don't have respect for people who are intentionally. I don't care how popular you are. I don't care how much money you made doing it, because making money doing something 
does not mean that that is a, a just cause, you know, or, or something that is that is that is uh that is advancing, you know, our community just because you got paid by doing it. Drug dealers make a lot of money. Uh, some of them, at least, make a lot of money. That doesn't mean that they should be patted on the back, you know. So when I see these people in my industry and in hip hop who might be popular, but I know that, you know, they're morally bankrupt, you know, um, just because you got money in the bank. If you're morally bankrupt, I don't look up to that. And and that's something that I find myself uh, not being afraid to be critical of these type of uh, artists, male or female, uh, because someone needs to know that just because you're making money doing something doesn't mean that it's healthy for the people who are consuming it. And I don't know why I don't care about fitting in, you know, with these people. My success has come because of God having me anointed and because of me working extremely hard and me having skills. Like you can't take my skill set from me. So because of that, I'm not worried about trying to fit into these certain circles that that, that will make me kind of like hush, you know, my lip and say, oh, let me not call this person out or this person out. Um, the song that really jump started my career was a song called J50 and Wheezy where I was speaking to Jay-Z, 50 Cent and Lil Wayne and on my new album that's coming out next month, the album is called Finding Balance. I got J50 and Wheezy part two on that album. Um, oh, are you serious? It's been 10 years. It's been 10 years since I put that song out and I said, you know what? 10 years later, where are these brothers at now? What are they doing and, and what has changed, if anything, since the time I did part one? So I did part two, man. So that's an exclusive uh, that I'm <laughs> announcing on, on this channel. Yeah. Man, I, I, I love that. And, um, and yeah, J50 Weezy, that was that was how uh, you got on my radar, man. That was the first interview we did years ago. And because um, and I saw the video and I said, whoa, who is this dude? This is great. And I and I and I what I like about um your approach to things that I find really fascinating is uh you you all would think that with D1 going through, you know, with that scorched shirt approach, you know, he 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 stands on what he believes and he doesn't doesn't buckle. Um, you would think that he'd have a lot of enemies, you know, that everybody would say, Oh, I can't stand that dude. I, but that's not true. You, you, everybody I meet, you know, a, a, across the spectrum from uh, from the righteous artists to the you know gangster thug artists, they all not. Well, I'm sure it's not a hundred percent, but but the majority of them have a respect for you, mm-hmm. you know. And and I and what I see, and maybe you can speak on this, but what I see is that it's almost like they they might say, okay, this guy's different from me, but he stands on what he believes in, and and I respect that. I respect him for that. And also, you you have a different gate. When Jeff was talking earlier about. Uh, us mean mugging each other, always trying to be the mean guy and the tough guy. You don't do that. You show up with a smile. First thing, every, every year, we tell you, first, first thing you do is you you give that smile, man, and, and, it, and it, it makes people feel that word you mentioned earlier. You're talking about love. You know, your brothers don't have to show up with each other, you know, thumping our chests and growling at each other. We can show up with a smile like, hey, brother, I love you. I want to see you succeed. Can you right. kind of speak to that in terms of just from a spiritual standpoint, uh, what your philosophy is on, in terms of how you engage with, with the world? Sure. Um, I always lead with love because, um, you know, we are God's creations. And therefore, if God thought enough of you to make you into a human being, then that means that we automatically have more in common than we have, uh, you know, differences. So I look for the commonalities between myself and others. And oftentimes we have so much in common and so much to appreciate about one another that even if I choose to highlight the differences that we may have or, or the things that I don't agree with about a person, 
I can even be critical in a loving way, you know, and, and, and that, that is, it's a difference between a person who is, is, is calling someone out um, in a critical way versus I'm calling someone out, but you can tell that I have compassion for that person, you know, and, and, and my compassion comes with knowing that these, uh, these men and women are often coming from broken homes. These men and women are often uh, lacking, you know, great role models or people who they were able to look up to to help them understand how to navigate life. These men and women are looking up to people who tells them that, you know, money over everything is, is how a real man, you know, lives his life. So when I'm encountering these people, I'm often trying to lead with love so that I can help break down some of those barriers that exist. Um, and, and it's a fine line to walk, but I don't want to be so comfortable in just getting along with everyone because I lead with a smile and because I, I look at what we have in common. I don't want to be so comfortable in doing that that people feel okay with doing the wrong things, you know, constantly in a way that's affecting, not me, but that's affecting these kids, you know? When I, when I, just, when I just see people who are so comfortable um, uh, glorifying, you know, this, this evil and this hatred and this ignorance in a way that is affecting kids, that's what made me stop being a teacher and want to be a rapper is when I saw my students looking up to these rappers in, in, in a manner that they let me know, yo, these students want to be just like these rappers. They're getting the same tattoos that their favorite rappers have. They are wearing the same type of clothes. They are talking, walking, living, breathing, and acting the same way that their favorite rappers are, are behaving. That made me say, you know what? Um, I mean, I could, I, could, I could make a difference in this classroom, but I could make more of a difference out of this classroom just with the heart of a teacher, but with the platform of a popular artist. Yeah, well, you know, um, I mean, rappers, uh, rappers are teachers or preachers, whether yeah. they want to be or not. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, all, it's all a similar profession. I, I, I'm a rapper who raps without a beat. You know, like poetry and all that. Yeah, it's all like yeah. rhyme scheme just with over a beat and things like that. No, absolutely. The I, I did want to ask you something. Uh, you're from New Orleans, and so there, I mean, the hip hop community out of New Orleans, a place that's not very as far as the state of Louisiana is not very big, but you, you got your, your cash monies and your no limits, and even guys that are newer today, like Kevin Gates and Young Boy and stuff, but you didn't go that route, right? Like, no offense to them. They did what they did. But your your music doesn't sound like theirs. It's, it, it, like, it has a spiritual tone. It does a lot of motivation. Talks about, you know, building all different kinds of things. What made you stay away from going that no limit cash money route and kind of create create that thing that you were talking about, that the opposite of what your students were listening to? Yeah, that's not, uh, I mean, that's not that's not what I was put on this earth to glorify, man. Like, I, I understand my purpose. My my purpose is bigger than just getting money by any means by being a rapper. You know, my purpose uh, entails using whatever platform I can to put out a message that's real, righteous, and relevant. So that's my thing: is if it's not real, righteous, and relevant, then I don't need to be. Um, I don't need to be uh, perpetuating it and and giving it any attention. So mm -hmm. I look at I look at a lot of those guys, man, and. I mean, I know a lot of them personally at this point. Me and Kevin Gates, we were coming up. I was in college when Kevin Gates was in the streets. Uh, we Same time, though, same exact time period. And I was in college in his city, in Baton Rouge. 
So we were running into each other a lot. He's featured on that song, I Hate Money, that, uh, that Dr. Boyce uh, is talking about. I have a remix version on my first album, David and Goliath, and it's featuring Kevin Gates. So we were running into each other a lot. You know, uh, these guys, the, uh, the, the, the No Limit artists, the Cash Money artists, these guys, like, we, we would run into each other a lot. And I just, I realized that um, a lot of people are able to compartmentalize the message they put out in their music. And they're like, hey, this is not who I really am as a person, but this is what the people want to hear from me. And, and I have never, ever, ever been worried about what people want to hear from me because I'm here to give people something that they that they need and to be so good at presenting it and, and, and packaging it through my skill set that I make them want something that they actually need. You know what I mean? And people need love. People need intelligence. People need courage and people need motivation. Uh, so that's what I rap about. And that's what I put into my music. And that's just always been my approach. A lot of these people start rapping to, to help get them out the streets. Um, I mean, I graduated from college and, you know, I understand just business in general. So I never was worried about, uh, man, if I don't rap, I'm going to jail, man. It's either, it's either, it's either rap or, or, or I'm going to end up in jail somewhere. That was never my reality. And that doesn't mean I didn't come from the streets, but I just realized that the greatest weapon that I had was my brain. I realized that while I was still growing up in the goose in the night ward on New Orleans East side, you know what I'm saying? Like, that I got the same brain as a person like Lil Wayne, you know. It's just, what do we want to use our influence and our and our um, ingenuity and our our uh, cleverness, you know, for? Like, what do we want to do? Do we want to give people what they want or what they need? And I think that you know, I'm just a person who has always said, I'm gonna give them what they need, man, because I can't stand to see my people suffering. Man, you know, I, I'll tell everybody a little story. I hope D don't mind me sharing this. Um, but, uh, uh, I remember I, that, uh, I, I was really shocked, uh, that when, when you sent me that text once where I had made a little comment about how you reminded me of Lil Wayne. I said, yeah, he reminds me of Lil Wayne. They got the dreads. They got the same New Orleans accent, uh, same lyrical ability, but it's like, they, they're just it's almost like separated at birth. Like one, you know, one's like, they're just like the, the yin and the yang of each other. And, and then you made that hope that mixtape called separated at birth and and you took a lot of the little wayne beats and 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 just put new lyrics with it and uh and and i just i love that man i was i was so i was stunned by it that, that you had done that and uh and do you, do you want to finish that story because i remember that that, that people they just stopped it they didn't want it to be released yeah, yeah the mixtape the mix the mixtape was inspired by dr boyce watkins he did an interview with i think it was vlad that you did an interview with and and, and you mentioned about uh the D1 and Lil Wayne, you know, comparison and, and the similarities, yet differences. And you, you said it was like we were separated at birth. And I literally took that snippet from your interview. I put music behind it. And that was the intro. Your, your interview, your audio was the intro for this new mixtape by D1 called Separated at Birth. It had, a, it had a baby picture of me, a baby picture of Lil Wayne, and it had a family tree. And it had us like, you know, uh, on separate sides of the family tree. And I took all his beats and whatever he was rapping about and glorifying on these beats, whether it was killing people, whether it was sleeping with, you know, somebody's girl and baby mama, whether it was just making all this money through with drugs, whatever it was, I took that same beat 
And I came and I did a 180 and I rapped about the polar opposite. I rapped about the solution to whatever he talked about. I was like, well, this is what this brother is glorifying. Here's the opposite side of that. That, that is that is something that I'm more or less, you know, along these lines with, with how I would, would want to uh, push someone to live life. And I did this and I spent I spent about about a month and a half uh, crafting this amazing tape. And the night before it came out, it got banned um, from coming out. And what I mean is the record label that I chose to sign with, I was with RCA at the time, um, major record label. They, they were well aware of it. I sent them the mixtape. They had heard it and everything. They had no issues with it. But apparently the day before, some people from uh, Lil Wayne's camp, I don't know if it was his label reps, if it was his management, uh, had heard about this tape. I put two singles out, so they were on YouTube and on SoundCloud. So people kind of got uh, an appetizer as to what this tape was going to be about. And they contacted my record label, and apparently they uh, they made some threats uh, to them about uh, possibly suing them if this came out, or maybe Lil Wayne not collaborating with any of their artists anymore um, if this came out. So my record label called me frantically, uh, begging me to not put this mixtape out. And my record label was hinting at and implying that, you know, these guys are crazy, man. These are some street dudes. You know, you might, you might, like, your life might be in danger if you put this out. And I was like, is this something that they told y'all? Or is this something that y'all are just, you know, worried about me and y'all are saying this? Because there's a big difference between somebody making a threat and y'all just being afraid because, you know, by the grace of God, I walk around, you know, this earth. I walk uptown, downtown, East Bank, West Bank of New Orleans. No security, no nothing. And I'm a one man army and people really respect who I am uh, and what I stand for, even if they don't always agree with me. So I was I was a little befuddled. I was like, well, you know, where are these uh, worries coming from on y'all end? And they pretty much um, the record label pretty much put me in a position where they said. If you still choose to put this mixtape out tomorrow morning we're going to shelf you and you, you, you've signed to us. So we, you know, we have the rights to your music for a while. Uh, and we'll just, we'll shelf you. We won't, we won't put your music out. And, um, that, that, that was a, that was a tough night. That was a tough night to go to sleep because I'm like, man, I put all this work in into this amazing project. And the night before, uh, my record label, who's supposed to be my team, you know, they're supposed to be my teammates. Uh, they're, threatening to shelf me because they are worried about um, the message. You know, instead of them being like, man, we got your back to the fullest, D, because we believe in this too. They were more worried about uh, what they were going to potentially, you know, lose in the process uh, as far as a friendship maybe with with, uh, with Lil Wayne or, or with his camp. So it was a weird, weird time. Uh, I chose not to put the mixtape out. Um, I chose not to put it out because... I said, well, if I chose to get in a partnership with this record label, I want the partnership to work, and I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, you know, make them angry, and that's the reason why I chose not to put it out. So I didn't put it out. Uh, it kind of became an urban legend um, in terms of everyone, like people to this day. That was six years ago. People still every day DM me and ask me, man, can I hear that separated that bird mixtape, please, bro? I want to hear it. So it, it kind of became an urgent urban legend. And um 
Yeah, that's where that's so, where we stand. Um, so you, know, you know, you know, everybody listening is asking the same question. Okay, and, and, and can we get it now? Right, right, right. <laughs> of course, of course. I'm. Oh, so this how I know. Um, this how I know that I'm that I'm that I'm anointed, man. By the grace of God, is that happened in 2015, and and it, it was a it was a weird weird position that it put me in for sure. Uh, it definitely put me in a weird position. And then right after that, I just had this creative outburst where I was like, bet, they banned my mixtape. Man, I'm about to just go crazy in the studio. So I started coming up with all these songs, all, all these songs. And I went to the record label again. And I said, hey, I recorded, um, I recorded like three albums. I want to put, I want to put an album out, no, four albums. I want to put one out uh, like every every quarter this year, I got enough music to just flood the market. And I was like, here's the first single off the first album that I like to put out. It's a unique song. No one's ever done this before. It's about paying off your student loans. And I was like, I just paid my student loans off recently and it felt great. I want to make a song about financial literacy and being smart when it comes to uh, managing your money because people always talk about getting money and blowing money but who's talking about saving money and being small with it? So I played Sally Maybach for them. Um, and they, once again, they were like, nope, we ain't putting this out. This ain't dope. This is crazy. So, Wait, so. You mean a black male rapper showing financial responsibility? That's it's not real. crazy. It's too That's crazy. not realistic. Go, go ahead. So they, they literally, one of, the, one of the people in the office literally said, hey, most of your fans probably uh didn't even go to college so they're not even gonna be able to relate to this you probably you know a lot of your fans probably don't even go to college literally that's a quote that's a direct quote so um so i at that point i had already been through the separated at birth situation and saga with them to where they banded and 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 it couldn't really come out so at, at this point i said man forget this like i'm putting this music out one way or another so um, I chose to, I found like a loophole in the system and I put it out on YouTube, uh, for promotional use only. So it wasn't on iTunes or on the streaming platforms, but I put it out on YouTube the same way I could put up a video of me freestyling or something. It's just, it's me being artistic, but it's not me commercially exploiting and selling this music. So I put the music video on YouTube. The music video goes viral, wow, a million and something views and, you know, I'm getting a ton of press, CNN calls. I'm on CNN, ESPN calls. I'm on ESPN, wow. the, the real calls. I'm on national, you know, daytime uh, uh, television on the real performing. And this song that they hated is blowing up right in front of their face. So at that point, I knew, that's when I knew I don't need this record label anymore. Like I've seen the biggest boom of my career happen Um with a song that they thought was corny, number one. Number two, I'm seeing it happen, and I'm the one who came up with the concept of how to push it, how to market it. I'm putting my own bread behind it. So I, I was fully convinced at that point, man, I don't need this record label anymore. So I then started uh, a, a year-long process of uh, of getting out of my record deal, and I was successful. So, uh, so getting out of the record deal, I came out of it, uh, all those albums that I told y'all about that I had recorded that I planned on, you know, putting out with them. I was just like, man, I'm going to save my best music until I'm not with them anymore. Because once I give it to them, 
it's their property. You know, they, 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 they own the masters. So I saved a lot of my best stuff. I still put out, uh, uh, my album with them, it was called uh, Slingshot David. So still put out a great album, but I, I kept a lot of the, the real heat, you know, uh, <laughs> I got out of my deal, scot free, um, didn't know them any money or anything. You know, all that was 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 done, paid off. And uh, yeah. And, and it's been it's been great ever since, because uh, I, under, I I'm a walking record label, you know, I'm a walking, talking record label. So because of that, um I enjoy the process of being able to succeed, you know, or not succeed on my own merit. I think that that freedom as a as as a as a young entrepreneur, that freedom is more exhilarating than anything else. Like I was never looking for just an easy come up or a quick check or anything like that. Never. Um, I realized that I'm writing a blueprint that didn't exist before me. I didn't have anyone in New Orleans to look up to. I could have people that sold a lot of records, but I didn't have anyone to look up to who was being real righteous and relevant, you know, the whole time that they were making music. And and I didn't have anyone to look up to who was like, no matter what size of the check is, I'm not going to put out content that's going to be poisonous to my people. Because the music, you know, God bless uh, Black Rob and, and, and DMX and everything. But although they're not here in the physical, their music still lives. So that's when you realize, like, oh, like everything I put out for public consumption is going to outlive me physically. And that part right there has always scared me to want to put anything negative, you know, on on a record that could that could get out there and uh and maybe poison someone even when I'm gone. Because now I can't even speak up for myself. All I have is my my music to speak for me, you know. Wow. Well, well, by the way, everybody, if you don't know who I'm speaking with, I got uh, uh, the rapper D1, uh, one and only. Uh, D1 Music is how you can follow him on social media, and everybody should follow him. If you're not following him, you got to support the brother. Uh, He's doing amazing things. And also Jeff Lightsey Jr. from the Black Boss Channel. Uh, Make sure you follow both of these brothers. Their their, uh, social media is right there on the screen. And uh, and so before I move on, D, I want want to – uh, get back to that question we asked that that you just kind of glided past where everybody's <laughs> asking the chat. Where can we pop that mixtape at? Uh, is is it? Can you? Are you legally allowed to release it? How do you feel about it? Or is it something you want to kind of put in the past? If that's the case, then we we can accept that. I am legally allowed to release it. Um, it is something that I had decided. I was like, you know what? Um. I'm, I'm I'm past that chapter. Like I'm not even trying to like the D1 narrative is so much bigger than the Lil Wayne controversy. Like everything I'm doing, the moves I'm making, the blessings that I'm uh that I'm able to provide for others through my craft and through just my leadership is something bigger than just. It seemed like D1 and Lil Wayne are always like you know kind of like like tied in with one another and some controversy with. Does D1 have beef with like? I was like, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm sit that down in the past. I'm still looking forward to meeting Lil Wayne one day. The only time we ever crossed paths in person was when I was in high school. I used to work. Y'all remember that store, Circuit City? It was like yeah. an electronic store. Electronic, yeah. I used to work at Circuit City installing um, uh, televisions in people's cars. So Lil Wayne came in. This before I was a rapper. I was still a high school student. And I had to install a TV into his, uh, into his SUV. <laughs> That's the only time we ever crossed paths. Although I was about to potentially sign with his record label, he and I had never 
formally met in person, which was a big red flag to me. But still look forward to meeting the brother one day. I still feel like um, we have so much in common and we got so many mutual friends because New Orleans is small. That I think it'll be I, it'll be a great opportunity for some cool dialogue, uh, maybe even for some cool music to come about from it. But what I'm doing is so much bigger than just, you know, uh, this this uh, this uh, separated at birth mixtape with Lil Wayne. So, yeah, I will say this. I will say this. I thought about making it an NFT because now the NFT oh. is, mm. I'm like, yo, I'm mm. like, like I'm, I'm still, like I said, I'm in the stock market. Um, I'm in real estate. Uh, you know, I have, I have a, a wooden watch company. Um, yeah, show, show us that wooden watch company. I want to, I want to hear more about that. And by the way, I want, and everybody in the channel, I'm sure agrees with me that we respect that. We respect what you just said about, Putting in the past, so everybody in the chat just say I respect that. Give, give the man respect, even though we were all sitting here like, okay, I, we got we got to get this tape. But, yeah. but you know, but we respect it. I completely get that. So let's talk about that wooden watch company. And actually, I actually want to play one of your videos, man. I I hope that's okay. Please, uh, please. Okay, cool, cool. God, show us the wooden watch. I'm, I'm gonna put you on the big screen so they can actually see it. And I want you to talk about that partnership that you're doing with this brother. That's uh. That's making course. these people watch. Go ahead. Of course. So, um, so I turned down a lucrative um endorsement deal with with a luxury, you know, watch brand uh that that was, you know, wanting to endorse me, pay me thousands of dollars uh to get with them. Uh I chose to turn that down to form a partnership with a young black man from my state in Louisiana who has started this company of uh handcrafted wooden watches that are literally affordable. So they're not expensive like Rolexes and APs and all that stuff. These watches cost between 70 and 200 bucks. And I saw this young brother and I, and I, I really felt his vision, but I also bought into him as a person to the point where I said, oh man, like with my marketing know-how and, and with, with me understanding the platform that I have and what I can use it for, man, I can help bring your vision, you know, a lot further than what it, is already uh, performing it. So we've uh, we've collaborated, and these watches cost between seventy and two hundred bucks. We just got uh, we just got featured in GQ magazine. So like everything that I knew was gonna happen, it's already happening because we've gotten to the point where the the quality speaks for itself. You know, it's it's it's, it's luxury, it's elegant, um, it's stylish, it's for men or for women. And yeah, our, our Burnett brand is the name. So R Burnett B U R N E T T brand.com. That's the website. Um, and we we've just partnered on something that I know a lot of people who say, you know what, I like what you stand for, young brother, but I don't listen to rap music. How can I support you? And my thing is, huh, I gotta have more than just music that I'm that I'm that I'm offering to people who want to support. So I feel like we've been brainwashed all these years to thinking that these expensive brands like a Rolex, like a AP, like, like that's what makes us valuable is if we have one of those on. My thing is like, no, what actually makes you valuable is to support something that has some meaning, something that is actually different. That's a conversation starter for everyone who sees it, but something that's affordable yet luxurious. So that that's in line with my brand values to the fullest. So that's why I've, uh, collaborated and this is the piece that was featured in uh in gq this month um it's called the aureus 
and we uh yeah we we just we just getting started we got we got a lot of lot of great things coming up so i appreciate anyone who is uh curious enough to go and check this out and go support all right all right so i put the url on the screen i spelled it right right d uh i can't see the comments they got i i'm not able oh. to see them from where i'm at. oh yeah on the screen i i think i did spell it right because i um uh, well, the comment. The oh, comment yeah, 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 yeah. You spelled it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. perfect, perfect. Yeah, so I want to make sure we support the brother. I, I'm, a, I want, I want to copy one of those watches, you know, because I, I love what you're doing because I like the idea of, of us being very intentional about where we're putting our money at, and uh, particularly when you talk about hip hop, where uh, rappers were the original social media influencers. Like they were social media influencers before there was social media. When you go back to when Run DMC. You know, when Russell Simmons, he tells that story about how he was... Um, with the shoes. Yep, with they had put out my Adidas. Yeah, and he uh, wanted to show Adidas the power of hip-hop and influence, and he had Run, like, tell everybody, lift your, lift your Adidas in the air, and, and 10, uh, 50,000 people all lifted their Adidas up in the air, and the exec was like, he'd never seen anything like that before. And and so you you, you hear now, that it's kind of... Um, we see an opportunity rather as a point of criticism rather than saying it's a criticism how about we see it as an opportunity where you you know when you hear artists rapping about luxury brands that come from other communities uh we could be rapping about luxury brands that come from our community so uh, i i love it man i think it's great and uh if it's okay with you man i i, I want to show i want to play one of your videos i, I feel like people just we, we got to celebrate your great music and there's so much to celebrate but uh if it's okay with you uh, and, and then if you want to, we can even do another one uh, that, that, that you prefer. But uh, one of my favorite songs you ever did was when you did that song of the remix on of Against Us with, with Big Crit and Lupe Fiasco. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I loved it was because it reminded me, you reminded me, one thing you have in common with T.I., who's one of my other favorite rappers, is that it's like when, when each of you guys gets on a track with other people, you you like murder it. Like it's like it's like it's like when Michael Jordan played. Uh, in the All Star game, and, and um, Magic Johnson was telling the story about how it was—it was all the NBA All Stars, Karl Malone and Magic and, and Bird and all that. But Jordan just kind of said, "I'm gonna make sure that I dominate, no matter where I'm at." Right? And, and you kind of—I felt like you did that on this song. Not that these other guys were, are not extraordinary. I mean, Big Crit and Lupe Fiasco, amazing. But I was so proud, man, when I saw that video because of the way you just murdered it. But I'm gonna stop talking and uh, show the video. Is that cool with y'all? Play that, man. Play that. Hey, hey, hey. By the way, this is another song that the record label didn't want me to put out because oh, the record label, no. they, didn't, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't like this either. So it's crazy. Yeah. Man, well, I'm glad you got away from the label. We Who shall remain nameless? We ain't here to speak negative about nobody, but my goodness, man, that's crazy. All right. So let me uh, let me play some, share the audio. I uh, hope it comes through uh, good. Uh, let me uh, give, let me pull some stuff off the screen here so that everybody can see the full video. And uh, this is a song called Against Us, and uh, I, I just think it's a great song. So let me uh, just shut up and play the song, and uh, here we go. It just so happens to be my grandson, along with Lupe Fiasco and Big Crit. Let's go. They say I keep it too real. Oh, well, I ain't got no chill. I ain't in this game to prostitute myself for dollar bills. And the streets is going down. Titanic. God got me. Don't why panic. Who cares if you die rich if you ain't dynamic? Black verse, white, black verse, black rich verse, bone arrow verse, Christ, the verse, night field verse, face, eight verse, God love verse, hate. Got hustling in my. See, I fell asleep bumping Chris Wallace. I got big trees. Man, we didn't do got new bank. Everybody know we trail. 
normally rank up. You got money in the bank, but you morally bankrupt, boy. Our Selfish ways and overlook the days that we ain't pray. After getting paid, a product of five five. They gave us crap. We sold it back for gold and rims and Gucci. Taught us how to rip and move it. And I ain't talking, just ain't you. Somebody mama, somebody father that was on their way to AA till they heard us holler. They ain't for the cheap. The value of black life has increased. Only killing us for a bonus and paid vacay to the beat. The devil been busy, I'm telling you. Then fuck what they selling. They put on first and let it work, but everything else filling you. We been in the club way too long, my brother. be 86, but I know good hip-hop when it hits. And you know what I represent. Be real, be righteous, and be relevant. Oh, <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, everybody, uh, give this brother a digital uh, round of applause. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that song as much as I do. Man, That that's one of my favorite songs of all time uh, by any artist. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's an honor to be a friend, man. So, uh, tell me uh, what what what's going on with you now that everybody should know about. Everybody should follow. Uh, you've always got new music coming out. Uh, so what, what's your next project? Uh, what, what you got going down? Yeah, my new album comes out next month in May. At the end of May, uh, it's called Finding Balance. This yeah. album describes what these what these past 
two years, 2020 and 2021 have been like uh, for me as an artist. Before COVID even started, uh, my grandmother passed away. My grandmother was the the most loving human being that I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, she lived 84 amazing years. Um, you know, for mm -hmm. her to pass away, that was the first close family member that I've ever lost. And out of everybody, for it to be her, um, that definitely, that was a tough one. That was a tough one for me. Um, and, and it definitely put a lot of things in perspective. Um, a month later, uh, you know, COVID hits. And I have the whole year planned out prior to COVID. I had like uh, three tours planned out, um, one speaking tour, uh, college speaking tour, and two music tours. Uh, had a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, COVID hits and instantly, you know, over six figures uh, in income, you know, that's, that's down the drain. Um, it, there's this new reality to where as an artist, you know, we having to pivot and, and, and get, and get more into the uh, into the mindset of how to how to monetize ourselves and our brands without always having to leave the crib to do it, and that's something that uh thankfully you know I adapted and adjusted really quickly um in, you know into that space. So uh, when I think about everything these past two years, it's been about trying to find more balance. You know, not not traveling, not being uh not being on the road as much uh, and, and sitting down and being more stable, it gives you a lot more time to think. So um, this album, Finding Balance, is about all of my thoughts over these past two years. And and I definitely, I know that this album is, uh, if you're a D1 fan, this album is going to be at the top of the list uh, as far as your favorite all-time albums from me. And if you haven't ever heard my music before, when you hear this album, it'll make you go back and be like, what have I been missing out on? Because this brother just won me over. So Finding Balance is the new album that's dropping. And um, right now, I have, I have so, many, um, so many endeavors that, that I'm in that I'm actually going through the process of having to find balance in real life. Because it's like when you have so much, and maybe y'all brothers can relate, and that's probably a combo for off air. But when you... When you pray and work so hard, you know, for these opportunities and then you get so many things that you realize this is all on my plate. And this is all stuff that, that I uh, that I'm doing now. Like this was a dream at one time. Now it's about having the bandwidth to be able to properly, uh, uh, you know, maximize these opportunities and, and these platforms that you have. So mm -hmm. that uh, that that art of finding balance is is something that. I've incorporated into this album, but it's also something that I'm having to incorporate into into my real life, you know, finding balance. Wow. wow. Well, you know, there's a lot to say about that. And uh, yeah, I definitely we can definitely talk about that for sure. And mm -hmm. I, I, Jeff, um, you know, uh, did you have any uh, thing you wanted to ask D about or, or discuss? So, D, I, I know you like you said, you talk about finding balance. One of my favorite artists out of New Orleans is Currency. Now, I don't know if you know uh, Currency well at all, but one thing Currency does is talk about financial literacy. Him, and it's a bunch of guys like Larry June and those guys. So I just didn't know uh, if you knew him or is, is that something that you also take some inspiration to by any chance? So if I grew up in this house right here, 
Currency grew up right across the street from me, bro. <laughs> Literally. We, we grew up across the street from each other. I know I know you probably wasn't expecting that. Uh, but I know, not at been all. Knowing, I've, been knowing, I've been knowing that dude since before he was Currency, Shante. That's his real name. Um, like I, wow. and, he, and he know me as David. Or my people call me Doc. But uh, yeah, like been knowing him my whole life. Uh, he's, he's older than me, so I was always just a little dude kind of like looking up to him and his friends and wanting to like hang with them or play basketball or, you know, whatever. So, um, so yeah, I mean, when, when, uh, when Hurricane Katrina hit, um, currency came and stayed by me, you know, for a while because yeah, like, like both our houses got affected and everything. Like we been on one another. So it's really cool that, um, we've done, we've done a lot, you know, we've, we've done a lot and seen each other, um, uh, each like ascend to who we are now. We've done everything except for a song together. That's the, that's the only thing we haven't done yet. So, yeah, so I definitely, definitely know the brother. Yep. Well, you know what? Uh, well, I'll tell you, uh, we 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 love what you're doing, man. And I can tell in the comments, everybody's um, if they if they wasn't following you and supporting you, they, you definitely got some new fans today. And uh, I hope everybody will take a second and uh, and just just say congratulations, thank you, or something encouraging uh, to both of these brothers. Uh, D, are you are you thirty yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm definitely I'm definitely over that hill. So now that I'm <laughs> now that I'm now that I'm in my now that I didn't hit that thirty hill, bro. Um, honestly, nothing has changed because I've been in this same mindset since I was in my twenties. So if anything, if anything, uh. I do look at a brother like yourself and I've been looking up to you, but at this point, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm admiring. I'm like, man, you kicking like you in your twenties or thirties, man. Like, like I promise you, cause I see the patient, like you keeping up with the pace that we move at in our twenties and thirties out here. And I'm like, bro, I feel that where, and I think I was going to ask you where, you know, like, where does that, where does that come from? I think that, I would assume if you were doing something that you didn't love or that you weren't passionate about, it probably wouldn't be that same level of spunk. So I'm assuming maybe it's just the fact that you truly are walking in your purpose and, and living out, you know, uh, your calling that, that that's where that energy comes from. But where does it come from? Cause now I'm like, man, I, I would love to still be moving at this type of pace, you know, as I continue to grow. What, what, what is it? Well, you know what I find, man, is uh, when you, when you, what you said in the beginning, when you said you turn 30 and nothing's really changed. And that's because nothing really changes that much, no matter what age you are. When you know, I'm 49. I'm not that much different from what I was when I was 30. It's just I got better at being who I was when I was 30. If you looked at me, I was watching um, just today. Uh, I was watching an old videotape of me and Alicia 20 years ago when I was 29 years old. I was the same dude. I just wasn't as good at being who I am <laughs> because I was finding myself, you know? And I think that's the, the big thing is when you talk about living in your purpose and everything else, it's, it's not just about sort of uh, finding the purpose, which right that right there is hard enough, but it's also having that courage to really go live that purpose and really be that guy and just be okay with being that person, right? And, uh, and, and, and the older you get, the more you practice that, the better you get at it. And so one of the things I also noticed, though, was that when people got older, they would kind of either get distracted or maybe fear has turned them into something other. They got caught in the rut or, uh, or whatever the case may be. And I said, no, when, when I get as I go along, I always want to maintain a committed energy 
to being who I am because I'm better at it than I've ever been. You know, mm-hmm. it's the worst time for me to level off and start getting lazy. It's like, nah, man, this is what this is. You know, when the good stuff starts happening, right? And um, and so the other thing I'll say too is, I really believe that you know when you talk about finding your purpose, I, I'm an advocate. I, I just I literally just said this today that. I think we got to stop really putting our kids in certain boxes in terms of what you're supposed to. Oh, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be, be whatever. Um, I don't really do that with our kids, man. What I tell them is, what do you like to do? Who are you? Right. And, and, and you know, and then at that point, it's all, it's like, OK, what, what do you want out of life? You know, OK, money matters. All right, money's cool, but money's only going to be important when you have enough. Then when, when you have enough, you're going to have to find something else to do. So, so I say, like, what would you do if you didn't have to get up and go to work for money every day? Like, okay, you say you want to be a doctor. Would you be going to that hospital every day if you had $10 million in the bank? You know, would you go to medical school for 10 years if you had money in the bank? And if the answer is no, then that might mean that your purpose is someplace else. And you're just, you're just assuming that being a lawyer or a doctor is your purpose because you need to go to work to make money. And when we talk about things like wealth, like all of us are on the same page when it comes to wealth and a lot of wealth-related concepts. Wealth to me is something where, uh, and this is why I like your song. I hate money because it's like, like it's like, yeah, money matters, but but it's not everything. Like, stop, you know, but, but it's important, right? Mm-hmm. So don't waste it, preserve <laughs> it, build it, all that. But once you get enough, you need to focus on the other things that matter, like finding, you know, finding your purpose, uh, doing good things for the world, actualizing who you're meant to be, living your best life, whatever that means for you. And so I, I think that, uh, that what makes you great at what you do, what makes both of you guys great at what you do, because both of you have talent in your respective areas, is that you're really doing something you really want to do. And, mm-hmm. and I believe that when you're doing something you really want to do, you ain't working no more. Like this ain't, mm-hmm. this ain't work for me, man. I'm, I'm talking. Like, theoretically, I'm working by talking to you guys, but this ain't work. I'm talking to my boys. You know what I mean? So, so that's what the best advice I would give anybody out here is figure out who you are, but learn wealth building as a way to insulate you from capitalist slavery, which, which is pretty much what happens. The reason that you get up and go to that job every day that you hate, that you can't be inspired by is because you need the money. Right. And don't put your children in that position. You just have a little trust fund for your kids where they've got enough money where they can walk away from any job that they hate. They're going to get a chance to live a whole lot of special realities that were off limits to you. If you were spending all your time at some job doing stuff you don't even want to do for people you don't even like. Right. So so that's what keeps me going, man. It's like this is fun. You know, and, and then also I learned that if you want to be the best at anything, you have to just hustle, man. But you got to go through the fire to get there. Like my fire was my Ph.D. program I in college. I'll tell you a funny story real quick. And I'm going to shut up is uh, in college. I did really well. I was the number one black student on, on the University of Kentucky campus. I had almost straight A's all the way through. So I, can, I, get, I can vouch for that. My mom said that, too. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was cool with your mom, right? That's how that's that's crazy, right? So I feel like I'm a, a grandpa now. But uh, but anyway, but, but the thing was, so I got to my PhD program and I was getting my butt kicked, man. Like I was suddenly in these classes with like 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 one girl that sat next to me got one of the 10 highest math scores in all of China. Like she was, was like China is a billion people. She got in the top ten on the math test. I, I, you know, so I got to the situation, man, that was terrible. Where I, I never knew a situation where you could study eight hours a day, seven days a week, and still fail your test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, so it, you hit rock bottom, and it's like, man, this is I'm stupid. This ain't working. But what it did was it just gave me a work ethic. It taught me that there's always another level you can go to. 
Um, there's always something else you could try. You could always try harder. And, and really, if you want to win, you got to just figure out what, whatever that next gear is, go to it. Do your best. And if your best ain't good enough, then you need to do better than your best. Yeah. You know, get a new best. Right. And, and I still have that, man. You know, and you don't you never lose that, you know. So so you guys have that. And that's what I respect, man. And uh, and I've enjoyed talking to you, man. I, this is uh, thank you guys, both of you for coming through. And um, and I, I just I just uh, want everybody that's watching to know publicly that that I have a tremendous amount of respect for these guys and that this is the model. Like this is what the black community looks like in the future. So I'm, I'm going to be quiet and let you guys get the last word, uh, Jeff. And then, and then you be uh, you can close this out. Uh, Jeff, any, any thoughts? No, it was just a pleasure to speak with D. It was a pleasure to, I mean, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm thankful that in the Derek Chauvin trial, George Floyd was able to get justice. And like I said, I love the stories from D from, you know, basically being neighbors with currency to also why he loved teaching and felt like his, you know, living in his purpose with through the music. So I, I was glad to be a part of it. All right. Uh, D, any parting thoughts? Yes, uh, Jeff, brother, it's an honor to meet you on here, man. I already followed you on Instagram. So, oh, yes, sir. <laughs> so we, we connected like that. Um, Dr. Boyce Watkins, what can I say, brother? I'm I'm just so thankful that uh that our paths crossed all those years ago, man, and that we continue to, you know, you're the same person you were. I think we first met in 2014. You're the same person you were then. You're just a better version of it. And, and you give me inspiration to just continue to, be who I am. I'm, I'm not ever trying to be someone else, but just to become a better version of me, you just you just spoke that very well. So um, uh, right. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited that, uh, that that moving forward, I already know what the blueprint is because I found myself. I know what it is. My, my goal is to be real, be righteous and be relevant in everything I do. And now in terms of just trimming away the fat and minimizing the distractions out there, it's great to see other people who have successfully done that, who I can look up to and look at. And and when I said it, I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about you, Dr. Boyce. So thank you, man. Um, the music is going to continue to be at the forefront of what I do because my music is what I get the most fulfillment from. And the music opens the doors for these other sides of me that the world seems to appreciate. So new album, Finding Balance, is on the way uh, in late May. Outside of that, the public speaking, the sitting on the uh, the Louisiana Council for the Success of Black Men and Boys with Governor John Bell Edwards, continuing to do that, continuing to be an entrepreneur, our Burnett brand, luxury wooden watches. Y'all make sure y'all go support. There you go. Y'all see the website. Don't, don't just say, yay, congratulations. Go on there and, and let the product speak for itself. Um, uh, outside of that, y'all, um, whew. We got a little bit of we got a little bit of justice today, so that feels good as far as the verdict for that trial. But just know that it starts with self love. So if you're a black person and you're watching this, make sure that you love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. And in order to love yourself, you got to know that you are a king and a queen. God made no mistake when He created you. So thank y'all. I'm y'all stay in touch. All right, uh, and, uh, as my homeboy D1 likes to say, be real, be righteous, and be relevant. And uh, and by the way, that there, there was a I saw that image where Steph Curry was wearing your shirt or wearing the shirt with your slogan on it. Uh, yeah. you, you didn't get a chance to mention that, but um, but I, I in fact I'm gonna try to find it online. But uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You you actually you want to mention that real quick? Yeah, it's it's on. I posted it on my Instagram page. I was uh, I was in New Orleans. I was at my old high school gym because I was a hooper in high school. I averaged twenty a game. Um, I was, I was nice. and I was about to I was about to go. Um, yep. 
about to go play ball, and I get a text from Steph, and uh, it's right before his game was gonna start. You know, in, in a couple of hours, and Steph, Steph texts me a picture of him walking in, walking into the stadium with uh, yep, so with uh, you know, with with my hoodie on. Be real, be righteous, be relevant. So I'm just like. I'm like, yo, this is crazy that <laughs> one of the greatest players of all time is, you know, not only a personal friend, but actually willing to support my brand in public. There's so many people who who don't nearly have the platform and the fanfare that Steph Curry has who will be like, oh, yeah, I support you. Yeah, leave a fire emoji. Leave a... Man, this man really rocks with me to the fullest. And that just means a lot because I'm equally as excited to support my brothers and sisters who, you know, who have things that I genuinely feel like, yo, this is dope. Like, let me show, you know, let me show the world. You're not finna catch me just rocking something just because it's the trend. You will not see me with Gucci plastered across my chest or, or Prada or Dior or supreme or any of that stuff no man it's either gonna be mine or somebody who i personally feel like yo i rock with that individual right there so that's just that's it man so hey, shout yo, out well, where can people get a hoodie uh somebody was asking that in the chat missionvisionlifestyle.com missionvisionlifestyle.com so somebody please type that in the chat because because what 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 d is saying is very important uh in that we have to realize our personal power and, and know that when you talk about the power of the black dollar, um, it's really deeper than just you being the best consumers. You know, we that means we have the power to redirect that money to black businesses. And that's something that we we could do that on our own without anybody's reparations or anything. Uh, you know, we can literally take that one point four trillion, pop that back into black owned businesses, create thousands of jobs, thousands of millionaires, all, all of that. So. Uh, so thank you, brothers. It, it was great. Speaking to both of you, uh, this is awesome. And we got to do this again at some point. And uh, thank you all, everybody, for checking it out and watching. Uh, make sure you subscribe uh, to the Black Boss channel. Uh, this is where a lot of this is happening. Jeff's on there every single day, and the URL is theblackbosschannel.com. And, of course, Dean is always invited to drop, drop in, drop content, and we'll promote whatever it is the case may be. Hit the thumbs up button, share, subscribe button on your way out, and we are gone. See you guys soon. Peace. Great job.